Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I'm Listening is Odyssey's commitment to mental health conversations. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, depression, anxiety, or mental illness, help is available. Call or text 988 to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. That's 988. Welcome to Ask the Expert North Texas here on News Radio 1080 KRLD. I'm David Rankin. And I'm Kristen Diaz. You know, finally this week, the U.S. Census Bureau has updated its official population estimates. And the new figures that were released Thursday say that Latinos have made up the largest share of the state's population since at least July 2022. That new population figures, they actually show Hispanic Texans made up 40.2 percent of the state's population last summer, barely edging out non-Hispanic white Texans who made up 39.8 percent. So on today's Ask the Expert, we welcome J.R. Gonzalez. He is the executive vice chair of the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce and also the voice behind the Latino Business Report podcast. J.R., thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Kristen David, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure being with you guys. You know, Jay, the last time we spoke, we were actually discussing the 2020 census numbers were likely behind on reflecting the growth of the Hispanic population here in Texas by a larger margin. How do you feel about the latest figures? Well, the latest figures, I'm glad to see that they're out and people are recognizing just the the size and the impact of the Latino community. But as always, as we talked about last time, You know, if I were to come back in a second life, I'd either want to be a a weatherman or a census person because, you know, (laughs) they always don't get it right eventually, but they're always behind behind. Um, Yeah, the census is now officially 40.2 percent. But we all also recognize that especially the Latino community historically has always been undercounted. And this last time, the 2020 uh, census was no exception, undercounted even more. So, um it's, it's good to see that we're finally up there. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that Texas has been a majority, majority state for quite a while now. And the Census Bureau is just kind of getting caught up on the numbers. But with that, at 40.2%, which I actually think is going to be significantly higher, uh, officially, the U.S. is now 20% Hispanic. The one thing that came out of this is in doing research for our chat, I took a look at California. And California has been majority Latino since at least 2014, 2015. What has that meant for the state of California as far as any kind of clout? 
Well, David, it's given them a, it's given them the numbers. The population has definitely increased. I think California and Texas are it's like apples and oranges. Um, California, the great state of California, they have the large population. Uh, they have a larger Hispanic population, but in Texas, I think uh, our proximity, uh, a long border, the fact that economically we're a bit more um, robust and solvent just makes a lot of difference. But it's an interesting fact that as you look at the size of the population, that if you were to look at from years 2020 to 2030, 78% of all new people entering the workforce will be Hispanic. 78% between 2020 and 2030 will be Hispanic. So it only stands to reason as the population continues to grow, so is the workforce. And for business owners, so is the consumer base. As that consumer base starts to grow, I mean, if you're not doing multicultural marketing, you're not doing marketing. You need business owners, uh, businesses need to do a better job of reaching out to the Latino, Hispanic community and capturing that market share. Part of the conversation is not just about the current status, but what it will continue to turn into, as you just gave the numbers to 2030 uh, for us moving into the future. That population growth is going to include children. Um, how much of a change is projected in not only like our classrooms, but also the businesses towards Hispanic kids? Chris, that's a great question. If you look at it right now on a national level, about 25 percent of America's youth are Hispanic, 25%. And, and I can't remember the figure off the top of my head, but I think that um, out, of, out of the population, the amount that are under 18 years old is, is significant, which that's going to affect future, um, the electoral system, you know, future, um, future elections. The Hispanic population, as it grows, is not only having an impact socially, economically, but also politically. And today's question, uh, California has, I think, um, been able to take advantage of some of that. But in the same respect, uh, Texas is a completely different animal. And as we're continuing to grow, we need to recognize that it is going to have a significant impact. However, I also warn, do not think just because somebody's Hispanic that they're automatically Democrat. I mean, there is a good mix of uh, political affiliations within the Hispanic community. Do you also find that political candidates are finally starting to target the Latino audiences as far as the important issues that, that target the Hispanic community? David, it's nice to see that the that the people running for office are starting to recognize the impact a bit more of the Latino community. Before, they would say, you know what, well, we're not going to spend any money and we're not going to do anything in the Hispanic community because they never vote. Well, it's, it's kind of a self-perpetuating cycle in that if you don't put any effort into that community, why should they vote? So now that more people are starting to recognize just the sheer numbers and how the Hispanic population can shift a, an election at both a national and a local level, it's becoming more and more apparent that they are starting to pay attention. And it's good that they're paying attention because they're starting to see the starting to see some of the issues that are facing the Latino community that other communities may not face as much. We talk about others looking at the Hispanic community. What about the actual Hispanics? How? What kind of impact are they having right now on running for office? On you know being change makers in their community? Well, Chris, I think that um, we're seeing a lot more. I think this last go around, we saw a lot more um, Latinos, Latinas running for office, and I think that uh, it is definitely making a change. I, for one, uh, applaud the effort. I think that any elected body should reflect the community it serves. 
and with a 40.2% official population of Hispanics in the state of Texas, it's obvious that our elected officials do not reflect, you know, the community of, of, of this state. So therefore, by adding more people, more people of color, more Latinos, more African-Americans, more Asians, more whatever the case may be, in that mix, I think it's only going to make for a stronger form of government. But at the same time, you don't have to be Hispanic just to represent Hispanics. I know some non-Hispanics have done a phenomenal job of representing Hispanic issues. The other issue, of course, is the fact that a lot of the mostly majority Hispanic communities are in the southern states, New Mexico, California, Texas. At what point does it also start to move into the northern states around the country as well? Well, David, as a Texas born and lived most of my life in in, uh, in Texas, north of the Mason-Dixon line for Latinos is just too damn cold. Let me tell you, I've, I've, I've lived in Washington, D.C. for about nine years and then winters get cold. Uh, I think it's, it, it's making a change because the growth just isn't in the southern states. I think they're seeing they're experiencing a, a rapid growth rate across the country. And that's going to be a lot of in the uh, the urban and metropolitan areas where jobs exist. And there's just enclaves of, of folks moving up north. And thanks to our governor here in the great state of Texas, he's adding to, he has contributed to that of getting more uh, Latinos up north, taking them from the border and shipping them to Washington, D.C. or New York City or wherever, wherever he's sending them up to north so other people can uh, kind of share in some of the responsibilities. So as the population grows, it's going to spread. And it has been spreading for quite a while now. And I think people are just seeing it become a little bit more evident because of the sheer numbers and the growth. And that growth is going to continue for a while longer before it plateaus off. Let's talk about entrepreneurial growth uh, with the Hispanic community. A lot of small businesses thrive in the Hispanic community. Um, but is there enough capital? Is there enough uh, support for these entrepreneurs to succeed and to, and to thrive? Yes and no, Kristen. There is plenty of opportunities and plenty of opportunities for growth. However, one of the biggest issues with being a minority-owned business and is that is access to capital. Uh, in my business, I see it over and over again, where you may have two companies of equal, not even an equal value or or management or assets. I've seen companies that are doing extremely well who put in for a loan because they're Hispanic owned don't get it. And the lesser prepared or the, the lesser accomplished company gets the venture capital or gets the loan or has the access because they are, they're white. They are non-Hispanic whites that own it. And it's, it's just a, a thing that has existed for quite a while now. And that's just uh, one of the things from Hispanic entrepreneurships and business owners that we recognize that access to capital is always tough. But if you're a person of color, it's even tougher. Let's also talk then about big business as well. Are we seeing more Latinos moving into boardrooms for major corporations? David, I think if any corporation in this country wants to continue to be on top and gain market share, it has to start making some changes. As I said a little bit earlier, if, if corporations are not doing multicultural marketing right now, they're not doing effective marketing. They need that. If, in fact, I mean, how... Let's say it's the state of Texas, okay? If you're talking at over 40% of this state is Hispanic, how can any business in the state of Texas actually ignore that population? I mean, you can try, you may not like it, but if you ignore it, it's going to affect your bottom line. That's, that's your consumers, that's your future customers, 
that's your future employees. And then two, the best way to make some of those changes is to get some of those, those uh, Latinos or Hispanics that are working with your company, train them, work them up, get them into middle management, get them into the boardrooms, get them into decision-making positions, because that's when the real change is going to start to come. You know, a lot of companies right now, they're feeling their way through more inclusiveness, trying to figure out that definition on what works for their companies, what does that mean in society. Uh, We've seen a lot of changes, a lot more bolder statements from companies, but when it comes to understanding Latinos, we've talked about this before, JR, we're not a monolith. They are, they're from different countries, they're different generations. Hispanic Latino also incorporates two different mindsets for some people. Um, but when we talk about the population here in North Texas or in Texas in general, we know it's primarily Mexican-American, but there are other cultures. How do businesses do the research? How do they learn about a community that is so has so many different layers? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, heck, us Latinos are trying to figure each other out. Exactly. We, got about, we have about 22 different countries of origin. And with that always comes the differences and the different nuances, whether it be the slang or the way you say stuff. I was in um, Eastern Seaboard one time and somebody said something to me and I go Monday and they go, oh, you're Mexican. I go, yeah, because well, you're the only ones that go Monday. And I go, well, okay, I'll, I'll get that. Um, so there's just so many, diff- there's so many differences within the Latino community. You're right. It is, we are not a monolithic group. It is very hard for any corporation to say, this is the way we're going to do it. Now, uh, you mentioned it earlier in my latest podcast that I have out right now, the title of it is Seven Myths of Hispanic Marketing. So uh, you may want to try to catch that. I mean, it's it's interesting that just because you, uh, you just can't translate what you do in English and expect to connect with the Latino community, or you just can't put somebody's a grandmother or put some family scene of Hispanics expected to connect. Or some people think, well, let's just add a group of mariachis or mariachi music and it'll connect with the consumer and everybody, everything will be great. No, I mean, it is a different mindset. It's a different approach. It's a different way of tapping into the culture. And just simply translating something from English to Spanish is not going to necessarily do it. Or just adding brown faces or putting mariachi music, that is not going to do it because as you well know, I mean, mariachi is very specific to the region of Mexico where you have 22, 22 different countries of origin. Um, everybody has a different experience. And then add the fact that we have a lot of uh, mixed cultural uh, families now, you know, races and cultures, that even adds to it and makes it even more um, more complicated to actually tap into the, into the market. For sure, for sure. JR, is there anything else that you wanted to mention about this topic? I think the topic, thank you. I think that what I'd like to say about the topic is, guys, you can try to build a wall, you can tighten immigration issues, you can do everything you want, but it's already here. The growth is here. The growth is going to continue. There's nothing you can do to stop it. One of the things that's interesting, a lot of people don't realize, it's nobody's trying to cancel anybody out. If you look at it, one of the biggest issues of why Hispanics are now, especially in Texas and, and across the country, are growing at such a phenomenal rate is because um, non-Hispanic whites in their birth rates are actually declining. So the population is, your population of non-Hispanic whites is actually shrinking. 
where your Hispanic population, which is considerably younger, average age of Latino in this country is going to be about uh, 27, 28, 29 years old, where everybody else is going to be 30 plus, almost 40. Um, younger, childbearing, good Catholics, have more kids. I mean, that's just a, a trend that's out there. And with that, that trend is going to continue. So from a social, from an economic, from a business, from a political standpoint, it's like, the Latino community is here. It's here to stay, growing in numbers and can continue to grow for another, uh, we're in what, 2023? It's going to continue to grow for another 25 to 30 years before it plateaus off. So when it finally plateaus off, you're going to see close to about a 25% Hispanic population across the country. And maybe by then uh, the Census Bureau will get at least the Southern states like Texas correct. And you'll see even a larger Hispanic population here. But along with that population growth comes a lot of concerns for me is that uh, the emphasis on um, education. We have to have education. We have to have an educated workforce. We have to have people in all walks of life. And just because somebody is Hispanic doesn't mean they run a taco truck, own a restaurant, or in landscaping. There are a lot of Hispanic professionals out there, and that industry is continuing to grow. And it's just a recognition that, you know, I'm not a Hispanic, you know, businessman. I'm just a businessman who happens to be Hispanic. And then I also use that to leverage it through contacts, through uh, through um, putting together deals or whatever. And the fact that we are so close to the Mexican border, you know, Mexico is the United States' second largest trading partner in the world. So, you know, from a from a trading standpoint, from a global stand, is that if the United States is going to succeed, I believe that it needs to embrace the growing Latino community. Put the, put the community work in key areas and utilize their understanding of culture and language to grow that industry or that business on a global scale. Thank you so much, J.R. Gonzalez. He, again, is with Tamak, the Texas, uh, uh, Texas Mexican-American Association uh, Chamber of Commerce. And let me get that again. Executive Vice Chair of the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chamber of Commerce, Tamak, and also the voice behind the Latino Business Report podcast. Thank you so much, J.R. We appreciate it. Chris and David, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure being on your show. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.